Welcome to the Diversity Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jonathan Ember. We hope that you would just take a moment and listen and receive the Word of God. We know that one word from the Lord can change your life. And so we hope that this message will bless you and transform you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Justin. I also want to thank uh, Pastor Nina Daniels, who last week brought the word in my stead. That was awesome. We have a great team. I was at the North Campus celebrating them and the new transition of leadership. Pastor Woody, I also want to give him a congratulations for stepping into leadership at our North Campus. We prayed over him last week. We were up there. Uh, I was up there celebrating what uh, the new season in the North Campus. And so I'm just so excited about what God is doing. I just want to welcome everybody into the house one more time. You guys came on a Daylight Savings Sunday, and you lost an hour, and you still came to church. Give yourself a round of applause. Some of those are watching online because they just couldn't get up early, so we welcome you guys too, and welcome those that are North Campus. So we've been in this series of messages called Worship Defined. We have been excited to learn a little bit more about worship. I have sensed the atmosphere in this place changing as we've been just telling everybody a little bit more about worship through the life of Abraham. I've, I've sensed people's worship go to the next level. I heard even last week um, during uh, second service uh, in this place, like there was an explosion of God's glory in this place. And that just makes my heart so proud because this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to encounter him. He wants us to know him and to understand him and to worship him with all of our heart. And so we've been learning how to do that and learning what that really is through the life of Abraham, who is the father of all of our faith. He was the first worshiper of Jesus, if you are really of God, if you will. And so it's just a beautiful thing um, to watch his example. And so today I'm going to actually give you the next message in the series. We're going to look at the altar of Shechem. And this is the first altar that Abraham builds unto the Lord. And I'm going to explain what that is. So we haven't really been looking at Abraham's story in chronological order. We've actually been kind of working backwards in his story. When we look at the altar of Shechem, this is actually in the very beginning of the story of Abraham. God calls him to leave the Ur of the Chaldees where him and his family were from and settled. And then he was calling them to go into the land of Canaan. And so he was actually on his way there. He ends up getting to this land of Canaan that the Lord had promised him and his descendants. So this is in the very beginning of his story. And as he gets there, he builds this altar in this place called Shechem, which is a part of this land of Canaan. I want us to look in the scripture in Genesis 12, six through seven, as we look at what he's doing here. All right, here's the scripture. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem. The land is the land of Canaan. As far as the terebinth tree of Moray. And the Canaanites were then in the land. And let me just say this for any Bible study guru out here, anybody who likes to study the Bible, I will not get into the Canaanites were in the land in this message. But let me just tell you, that is a fun study right there. All right, so go and, and, and search and research what he is saying right here because I'm not gonna have any time to deal with just that one sentence in these two verses. But if you wanna have a fun time in your Bible study, just go and learn what that means. You'll have a fun time. I was studying that in this series and it was really fun, but I just didn't feel like I needed to share it. So I won't get into that, but we will get into this next verse. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there, Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
All right, so this is the first time he builds an altar. This has a lot to do with worship and defining worship. So I just want to actually answer three questions about worship that is coming from this portion of Scripture, and we're going to all learn a little bit more on worship defined today. All right, here's the first question that I want to answer. Why is Abraham's name different? Did you guys notice that? Did you guys notice that in the Scripture? In Genesis 12, 6, it said, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem. And then Abram built an altar. Maybe you guys didn't see that. I just want you guys to know that Abram is the birth name of Abraham. It was actually 24 years into Abraham's worship of the Lord that he actually got a name change where his identity shifted and it was changed by God himself. 24 years later after following God, 24 years after what we just read where he has this altar experience where he's building this altar where the Lord appeared to him, but it wasn't until 24 years later that he had this name change. You find this in Genesis chapter 17, verse five. I want you guys to look at this. This is God actually speaking to Abram in another portion of scripture. No longer shall your name be called Abram, he says. This is what God is saying to him. This is 24 years later. But your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. The reason why it says that is because Abram, the name Abram means exalted father. All right. The name Abraham means the father of many nations. All right, so God was changing and shifting his identity, just like he does for all of us. When we first start worshiping God, when we first start following God, our identity, especially as a Christian, doesn't really live up to the name Christian yet. How many of you guys know that worship in year one is different than in worship in year 24? I haven't made it to year 24 in my walk with God yet. I just know that in year 18 of worshiping God, I'm a lot different and I live up to the name Christian a lot more now than I did in year one when I was following God, right? There's an identity shift that happens when you worship the Lord. There's an identity shift that goes from you being self-exalted. This is what Abram meant. It meant, the, it meant the exalted father, right? See, when you get closer to God, you stop exalting yourself and you start exalting his plan, his purpose, his identity in your life. Come on, am I preaching to anybody today? I came here to tell you that when we worship God, we lose more of ourselves and we gain more of him. We lose that self-exalted nature that is puffed up and proud and sinful, and we become more like this God that we are worshiping. Do you see this? I'm telling you, year one worship is different than year 24. So you see in this portion of scripture and really right after it, Abram begins to follow the Lord. He's worshiping him. God appears to him. This was his encounter with the Lord, maybe his salvation experience. And so he builds an altar. But right after this, he goes into the land of Egypt for a time. And you see, this man was flawed. He was actually a deceiver. Uh, still, even though he encountered God, this is going to speak to why Christians still have issues, even though they've said the sinner's prayer, and even though they might be born again, right? Because year one worship is different than year 24, right? And so he has this encounter, but then he goes into Egypt and he starts lying. He's a deceiver. He's even a coward because he can't even stand up. For his wife, this is in year one of his worship. 
right? And I think we can relate to that because when we first start following the Lord, our identity hasn't completely shifted yet, and it won't. We call this in Christianity progressive sanctification, that we got a lot of work left to do in our relationship with God. And this is why you see even in year 11 of Abraham, or Abram at this point, again, because his name was Abram at this point, in year 11 of his worship and devotion to God, this is where he sleeps with Hagar to try to help God fulfill the plan of God in his life. Like God needed help with that. Like, God, okay, I got this. Okay, you're, you're just kind of taking your time. I'm getting older. Things aren't changing. So let me, uh, uh, you see, Sarah, she got that girl, um, her servant girl. Let me, let me go in, and I'm going to take care of business, and I'm going to help you out because you told me I'd be the father of many nations. I ain't got no babies yet, so let me just help you out in your plan for my life. How many times are we worshiping God and we have that added to? We, we act like God needs our help with his plan for our life. Instead of surrendering in faith and trusting whether he's coming through in that moment or it's going to take another 10 or maybe even 14 years or around 13 years for Abram in this moment, we're just going to trust God that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are even higher than our thoughts. And we begin to, again, just align ourselves with that identity and worship, right? Abram doesn't do this. So he goes in in year 11 of his worship and he makes a major mistake. He actually just relies on his own flesh, his own strength to try to get God and his blessing and his plan to happen in his life. This is why his name wasn't ready to be changed to Abraham yet. He still had too much self-exaltation. He had too much of that, that father nature. Okay, I'm going to be a father. I'm going to do it my way, though. I'm going to let this thing be what, what I've created. And I can look back and I said, I did this thing. This is his identity, the exalted father. But that's not what God wants. The Bible says God opposes the proud, the self-reliant, those who think that they can do it on their own. But he exalts the humble. Come on, somebody, if you want to be exalted, Jesus tells us that we better humble ourselves. We're not ready for this identity shift yet, generally speaking, in year one of worship, because we're not ready yet to surrender everything to God. It takes time to learn that he could be trusted. It takes time to learn that his ways are higher. It takes time to learn that his, his identity should be our identity. His plan should be our plan. I remember this in my own worship of the Lord. I'm telling you right now, if you guys knew me and you're one of worship, you all have been, been like, what? <laughs> like, what is this dude about? Um, I, I did love the Lord. I can honestly say that. Like when I first had an encounter with God, I'm telling you, I saw him like Abraham saw him. I'm telling you, there was this moment of life change for me where I was in the Ur of the Chaldees living my own life. And I heard God say, no, I don't have that type of life for you. I want you to come and follow me. And I begin to follow the Lord. I begin to worship the Lord. But year one worship is definitely different than the worship I had this morning in year 18. Uh, I, let me give you an example of this. This is a really funny example, but uh, in year one of worship, I, I started really digging into theology and digging into the scripture and even digging in to even, even false religions and even cults and things like that and trying to understand why Christianity is right and everything else is wrong. And so 
there came an opportunity for me to actually practice some of the knowledge that I had because two Jehovah Witnesses knocked on my door one morning. It's a Saturday morning. And I'm in my boxers eating my cereal. Year one of worship is a lot different. I didn't think that I needed to put on some pants. I walked to the door, opened the door, and there's these two beautiful young ladies that came to tell me about Jehovah and his witness, all right? I'm like, yes, I get to tell somebody about what I know. So I began to invite them into the house, and they came in. I'm sure that they weren't supposed to, uh, but I guess that wasn't in their Jehovah Witness material. If you walk into a door and there's a guy in his underwear, you probably shouldn't go in. They came in, and so we went to the couch, and we started talking about the things of God. And I was telling them everything. You're wrong. He died on a cross and, and he died for our sins. And, and it was his atonement that paid for that. There's nothing we could do. And I begin to preach the gospel, right? In my underwear. These girls had no clue probably what to think after that. I'm sure I did not convince them because you're one worship and you're one of Pastor Jonathan. I wasn't ready to be Pastor Jonathan yet, right? I thought I was. I thought I was good. I was preaching. I was telling them the truth, but they probably went away from there like, I'm never following that type of Christianity ever in my life, right? I wasn't ready for the identity of pastor yet. I wasn't even ready for the identity of Christian yet, although that was what I had. I just had to learn how to lose more of myself, even mature in the things of God. How many of you guys can relate to that story, that year one of worship was way different than where you're at now? And that's okay. The Lord wants to help you grow, but you got to learn that you're not there yet. You got to learn to not exalt yourself, to humble yourself daily, to, to recognize that his ways are higher. And so in Genesis 17, when Abram has this name change experience, it actually comes after his biggest mistake in his life, which was sleeping with Hagar, trying to again get God to fulfill his plan through his own strength and his own flesh. And so God appears to Abram after this story in Genesis 17, 1 through 3. I'm going to read these first three verses to give you the context of his name change. Look at this. When Abram was 99 years old, for some reason, it takes some of us a lot longer to get God, uh, to follow God and really surrender everything to God. He's 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him again and said to him, look, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and look at this and be blameless. This is what I believe Abram receives from the Lord in this moment. It, it just marked him. It changed him. It, it humbled him because he realized what he had just done with Hagar. And when the Lord tells you be blameless, like he knows, kind of like what he did with Peter after Peter denied him three times and he saw him and they were having breakfast together and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Three times. And Peter realizes, dang, he knows everything. He knew that I denied him, right? It's like this moment of Abraham hearing God and seeing God right before him and saying, be blameless. Yet I'm still appearing to you. I still have promised you this child. I'm still going to bless you. Matter of fact, I'm going to even change your name more, but I want you to know I'm holy and I want you to be blameless in my sight. I know this marks him. I, I, I can imagine. Here's why. Look what the scripture goes on to say in verse 2. That I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Not through, not through Ishmael, but through a, another son, Isaac, right? And then verse 3. Then Abram fell on his 
face. Why? He sees the Lord in his holiness. He sees the Lord in his righteousness. He sees the Lord that he's still holy and righteous, yet he still forgives him of his, of his misguided ways and his fleshly ways. But he also says, go and sin no more. This is a moment where he's prostrate before the Lord. He's falling face forward in, in deep worship. Because at this moment, he's no longer saying, I'm going to exalt myself as the exalted father. There's only one person I'm exalting. Face down on the ground. This is where we have to be. If you want identity shift in your life, you no longer want to be that Christian who is immature. It's time for you to get face down on the ground where you tell the Lord, there's nothing more of me that I want except for you in my life. This is deep worship where, where an identity shift happens. Because no longer are you exalting yourself. You're saying, Lord, whatever you want for my life, whatever you call for my life, how you want me to love others, how you want me to follow you, if I have to wait even longer for those plans, whatever you want, I'm not going to try to fast track this thing. Your one worship is different than year 24. This is why Abram is having this name change. It was like after what he did with Hagar, there was a humility in his heart. He still had to wait. By the way, this happens, I believe, it's like about um, 12 years, 13 years after he sleeps with Hagar. He doesn't have any encounter with the Lord until this moment. You think in those moments he was reconsidering what he just did, what he was doing, because obviously the Lord wasn't in that thing. And now he has this moment where he's like, okay, God, I finally surrender whatever you want. Face down, falling down, completely in surrender. He was ready to exalt the Lord and let that be as his identity. The father of many nations, because that wasn't his plan. It wasn't his, he couldn't do it on his own. It had to be through the blessing of God, through the will of God. That happens in your life. A name change, an identity shift will happen in your life when you worship the Lord in complete surrender like Abram finally did in this moment. He goes from Abram to Abraham. He received even the mark of God because that ha that he got in his name, that actually symbolizes the name of God because Yahweh, that's a part of his name. And so he gave him a part of his name because he's like, okay, you're ready for this new identity. You have finally had enough doing life on your own, how you want to do it, exalting yourself. Now you're ready for me to be exalted. So here you go, Abram. You're now called Abraham. Sarah was called Sarah. She got the ha too. Come on, somebody. I need the ha identity in my life. I need more of God in my life. You get that through complete surrender. Amen. All right, so that's the first thing. Why was Abraham's name different? Why was it named Abraham? Because he wasn't ready in year one to be called Abraham. That took a lot of time, and it takes all of us progressing to get that identity shift. All right, here's the second thing. All right, here's the second question I want us to ask. What's the significance of Shechem? From this portion of scripture, what's the significance of Shechem? Now, the reason why I'm doing this and I've put these three points in three questions, I formatted it in three questions, is because I want you to learn how to study the Bible. 
Studying the Bible comes with asking questions and looking for those answers, all right? And you wanna look for it in the context of the scripture, obviously in the context of the times, the context obviously of the Old Testament versus the New Testament, right? But I'm, I'm asking these questions because I want you to start thinking about this so when you study the Bible, you're gonna actually do these things so you're gonna get these little nuggets that I'm about to share with you here in a moment. So what's the significance of Shechem? In Genesis 12, 6, Abram, again, passed through the land of Canaan to the place within Canaan called Shechem. If you look actually where Shechem is listed in the Bible, it's mentioned about four times, all right? And so if you look at the different places that Shechem is mentioned and you kind of look at the context, there's one place that you find like a ton of revelation about worship and you actually find it in the New Testament. Shechem in the New Testament is actually where Jesus meets the woman at the well. That's in Samaria at that time. Again, in the New Testament time, this was called, the area was called Samaria, but specifically where the well was, was Shechem. Now, if you read in the English version of this, and at the time of Jesus, the Jews did not like Samaria, and they did not like the Samaritans because they did not worship the Lord in holiness and purity, and we're going to get into that here in a second. So they actually called Shechem in the New Testament, Sikar, and so you would, if you're just reading it, you wouldn't actually read it as Shechem in the New Testament because it's called Sikar, and here's the reason why, because in, in Hebrew, that word Sikar means falsehood and drunkenness. So basically the Hebrew people, the Jews and the Samaritans, they were related because they both had Jewish blood, but the Samaritans were mixed race. So the Jews didn't like that. So what they did is they called them falsehood and drunkenness because the way that they worshiped wasn't according to the one true God and how he laid out worship in the Old Testament. So they're like, these people are false. These people are drunks. And this is the reason why like, people didn't go to Samaria. This is why John, the apostle, told Jesus to call down fire from heaven and destroy this whole area. And guess where Jesus goes? Straight to these people. Why? Because Jesus loves all people, right? And so again, you find this in the New Testament. And I'm going to get into that falsehood and drunkenness a little bit more here in a moment. But let's actually go to John chapter 4. Jesus is encountering this woman at the well here in Shechem. Right? Right around the same place where Abraham built this altar. Okay? And let's actually read what they are discussing in verses 20 through 23 because it has a lot to do with worship. Our fathers, this is the woman speaking to Jesus, worshiped on this mountain. Remember why? Because again, Abram, and he built this altar here in the same area. And you Jews say, she's talking to Jesus, you Jews say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where one ought to worship. So Jesus is about to set her straight. Look here in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship. And look, she has to set her straight. She does have, he does have to tell the truth in this moment that, that you're, you're actually worshiping a little off, okay? You're worshiping a little off. In verse 22, the worship, you worship what you do not know. Meaning you guys are kind of a little false in your religion and even the practice of what you're saying. You're worshiping the one true God because you guys are off. You're not doing it in the prescribed manner of Moses that God gave him in the Old Testament. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. This is the reason why Jesus even came as a Jew. But look at verse 23. But the hour is coming. 
This is what he came to do right here. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Guys, this is worship defined. Jesus is clearly defining worship to this woman from then and pretty much from now on. He is saying that worship is spiritual and truthful devotion to the Father, to God. You want to know what worship is? We're defining worship in this series. What Jesus tells this woman in Shechem is that worship is spiritual and truthful devotion to God. There's so many beautiful nuggets in this point. I could actually probably preach on this alone for an hour. But let's break down what he's saying here. On one side, worship is not designated to one place or one time because God is spirit. And so worship is spiritual, meaning you can encounter God anywhere at any time, especially in this New Testament reality, because God's spirit has been released and he's been released to anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. And so we can actually worship. Worship God, whether we are in Jerusalem or Shechem, according to this, or at Diversity Church on Sunday morning. But it's not just confined to any of those places. How many of you guys are thankful that we can have an encounter with God on 465? Hallelujah. How many of you guys know we need some encounters with God on 465? Hallelujah, right? We can have these moments where God just shows up in our car, hallelujah. We don't got to go to the Old Testament model anymore where we're at the temple. Although one day I can't wait to worship the Lord in Jerusalem when I go to that temple, but it's not confined to that place. It's not confined to the four walls of these church or at this building, about 18 million walls, right? It's not, it's not confined to, to just one place or one time because what Jesus is saying is it's spiritual. God's spirit is everywhere, and he wants to encounter you everywhere. Because this worship that we have, at least the New Testament reality, we can worship in Shechem. We can worship in Jerusalem, but we can worship here on Sunday morning at both locations of Diversity Church, but we can worship anywhere because it's spiritual, right? And, it's, and we're just engaging God with our voice and with our heart. And let me say this about liturgy in the church. A lot of people are stuck on specific types of like layouts of church services, and they feel like they have to do that. And even here at Diversity Church, we have our own liturgy, even though we might say that we don't. We do. There's a specific way that we do church and even our church services. But let me say this. Place, time, creeds, the layout of our services are only important. Listen to this. They're only important insofar as they are elevating our spirit to connect to God's spirit. A lot of times we're married to things because we think that they have to be this way. We can only worship with hymns. We can only worship by reading out of the King James Bible. We can we can only worship if we, if we do things like we have lights and we have the screen and, and we have this building at, at 9 a.m. or 11 or 10.30, right? We can only worship if we do things where we have worship for 20 minutes and then we have announcements and then we... No, no, no. Listen, all those things are only as good as they are actually lifting our spirit to connect with God's spirit. 
Can I tell you this? If I felt like at one point our worship services were not letting us connect with God anymore, I would change everything. How many of you guys know sometimes we, we could put the worship last and the message first? Y'all would miss the message, though, because some of y'all are late, like, every single week. Right? Yeah, because I don't care how we do it just as long as our spirit is being elevated to connect with God's spirit. Why? This is how God wants us to worship. This is what the Father is looking for. Our hearts connected to his heart. That's worship. And if we're doing anything else that, that distracts from that, and sometimes it's the lights and the cameras and the action that can distract from that. Sometimes it's even the singing. That's why sometimes we just got to shut up and be silent before the Lord because that's what's going to connect our spirit to his spirit. Right? All those things are only as good as sometimes. Let me just say this about him. Sometimes they will connect us, but maybe that hymn's not right for this moment. And it's actually going to distract us from connecting our spirit to his spirit because we don't understand the words. This is why I've been trying to get people away from the King James a little bit, because I'd rather have your spirit connect with God's spirit and not be messed up by the these and the thous and the everything else's. Amen, right? Because all those things, and if look, if that helps you, then, then by all means, if it helps you connect with God's spirit, by all means, do those things. But if it's distracting you from it, that's not worshiping the Lord the way that Jesus is telling this woman and telling all of us the Lord is spirit. And he's looking for those who would worship him in spirit. All right. So on one side, this is what he's pointing out to this woman. But on the other side, he's saying we have to worship with sincere motives to this one true God. And this is why he's calling her out for her adultery. This is why he's calling her out in this moment. You have had five husbands. You're not married yet. But you're living with a man who's not your husband. You've had five of them. We can't worship God and say we're following God, but we're not living out the truth of his gospel. Man, it's quiet in the church today. Right? Because like we, we say, yes, God, I'm worshiping you. And she actually claims him. He, she claims him. Look, this is where we worship. And she's saying this out of a moment where she's convicted because he just called her out for her sin. And so how many of us want to justify all the things we do know about God when our conscience is being lit up by his word? Well, I do this and I do this and I do this and I know this and I know this. This is what she begins to do. But she's not truthful in her worship, and neither were the Samaritans. They, again, this is the reason why the Jews called them this word sakar, because they were living in falsehood. They weren't worshiping God in truth. He said it. Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. This is how God prescribed worship in the Old Testament. Although, so this is where they were at at this moment, because Jesus hadn't yet died and rose. But he said the time is coming. Where those need to worship him in spirit, yes, anywhere, but also in truth. Truth didn't change Old Testament to New Testament. God's prescribed manner of our life, living holy and righteous before him, doesn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. There's some applications that change, but he still calls us to be holy because he is holy. If you want to worship the Lord, you got to worship in the beauty of holiness, the scripture says. 
in the, in the real deal truth of a life lived out for God. But don't we sometimes think we know everything? And this is crazy, man. So this is going back to the, the story where I'm in my underwear arguing doctrine. With these two Jehovah Witness girls, right? Isn't that wild that I think that they're going to receive my doctrine, although my life is not living up to the doctrine that I'm preaching? I've seen people, they can tell you all the scriptures. They can tell you all sorts of doctrine. They can tell you all sorts of truth that they know, but they're not living up to the truth that they already know and even preach. And they act like they worship the Lord, but they have five husbands. And the one that they're living with isn't their husband. That's not worshiping the Lord in truth. What does God desire from us? That we worship him. He's seeking out people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is why repentance is so crucial to us really following the Lord and continuing to follow the Lord. If our life is not lining up to the truth of the scripture and the truth of who God is, it's time for us to repent. And this woman at this well, this woman at the same altar of Shechem, she has this moment where she realizes the way that I was living, even the way I was claiming God wasn't true and it wasn't right. And she repents and she tells the whole town that this man, Jesus, told her everything that she needed to know she she received the messiah and she even submitted to the messiah that day and her life was forever transformed this is worship this is what god desires is for us to worship him in spirit and in truth so this is an amazing teaching moment at the same altar of abraham and shechem we learn about worship in the new testament here's this the third question though i want us to answer and we're going to end the message with this what was the purpose of the altar? What was the purpose even of an altar in the Old Testament? Genesis 12, 7, again, from our main portion of Scripture, says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had first appeared to him, or who appeared to him at first, or there at this place. Now check this out. This is so beautiful. The reason why I actually started this series is in my own Bible reading of Genesis this year, I caught on to this idea that Abraham keeps building altars. This altar of Shechem is the first of four altars, at least, that the scripture records that he builds unto the Lord and he sacrifices things there at the altar and he begins to mark certain places in his um, history and in his moments with God, he marks them as, as something holy unto the Lord and so he builds an altar. When I saw this, I was like, man, this is worship. This is exactly what worship is. It's honoring God. It's putting him first. It's marking him in your life. It's actually renewing your vows or even starting that with the Lord at some point. This is why we actually, even at a wedding, we call it the altar. Because you're making a vow unto the Lord before uh, before your spouse, before the witnesses. You're saying, uh, until death do us part, you're having this moment with God, with your partner. It's It's a special moment at the altar, right? And so you see this even in our age, but it's a lot different than in the age where Abraham was. And so he builds this altar. 
just as he did many times. We, we already read in the scripture when he was on Mount Moriah, where he was about to sacrifice Isaac, he built an altar there. So we already read that in the series. But he also builds an altar in Bethel, which means the house of God, by the way. He builds one in Hebron where he met God and those two angels that we talked about these last two weeks. He, he builds altars in these multiple places in the scripture. And this was just, again, to, to mark something as holy because God met him there. Now, this was important for Abram to build an altar to remember when those silent moments happen with God, what God has already done. All right. So he needed to have this marker in his life again to remember what God has already done for him. But check this out. The altar was also important for his descendants. For them to remember who is the one true God in our family's line. Who's the one true God that we are to submit to. God revealed himself to father Abraham. So we got to come back to that same altar and remember God showed up in his life. We want him to show up in our life. And so we're going to come back to this place and remember what the Lord had done. So this is actually incredible. Um, And so you see 175 years later in Genesis 35, that Abram's or Abraham's descendant, Jacob, whose name was also changed like his forefather, Abraham, his name was changed to Israel. This is where the name Israel and the nation of Israel comes from. It was through Jacob. In Genesis 35, 175 years later, guess who comes to this altar? Jacob. He comes to this same altar in the land of Moray, and in, in this, in this altar of Shechem, at this tree, this terebinth tree, in some translations it actually says an oak tree, this huge marker where Abram built an altar as worship for the first time. When he enters into Canaan, he says, the Lord appeared to him. He said, this is your, to your descendants and those who come even after you. Here comes Jacob. Guess what he does when he comes to this altar that his, that his grandpa built? He digs up like a hole right under this altar, right under this terebinth tree. And he puts all, and he commands everybody who was with him, all of his people, all the servants, he commands everyone to bring every idol, every foreign thing that wasn't true to the one true God and true worship to the one true God. He says, I want you to bring it all and I want you to bury it right here under this tree. This altar was a memorial. This is why we have communion in the New Testament. It's a memorial. It's to remind us what Christ has already done. That all of our sins, all of our idolatry was buried there at the cross and in the tomb. And it's once and for all dealt with. That's why we have the altar of communion. To remind us in that memorial that God has already dealt with our sins. But how many guys know we need other altars in our life, right? To remind ourselves and to provoke us. In moments where maybe our life is just not lining up with the things of God. Maybe it's like this woman and we, we thought we were worshiping the Lord, but there's not some truth in our life being lived out. This is the reason why they were at the well that day. Jacob built that well at the same place where Abraham built the altar. So this is why that woman is saying, this is where we worship. This is where my lineage worships because this is where Jacob built this well. But it wasn't just about the well. It was about his heart. He was leaving his idolatry. 
He was commanding all of his people to leave their idolatry. And they were coming back to the God of Abraham, the one true God. And this is the reason why you come to church. You don't realize it. But what you're doing is you're establishing another altar that every week when you come, and this is why we call this an altar, every week when you come to church, what you're doing is establishing God and his son, Jesus Christ, as the Lord of your life, the Lord of your family's life. So they would always remember, even if they go astray like Jacob did, that they'll come back one day and say, this is the altar of my God. This is the one true God. This is worship that he commands. And I've seen it through my daddy. I saw it through my grandparents. And I'm coming back to this. And I'm leaving my, alt- my idols at the altar. And so I want you guys to have that moment today. This is why we come to church. I want you to examine, is your heart true in your worship to God? Maybe there's some maturity that you need to actually just get flat out on your face and humble yourself because you've been just living beyond the identity of Christian in your life. Maybe you need to come and you just need to realize, man, I just need to humble everything before the Lord. I just got to lay it all down. I got to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So this is our moment to come to the altar. This is a mark. This is a faith mark in Abram's life for his lineage for all time. And it's even a mark in our life. So let's actually bow our heads, close our eyes. Matter of fact, the way that I'm going to do altar call today is a little bit different. We're talking about the altar If you just need to get reminded and even set Jesus again as Lord over your life and maybe bury some idols or bury some sin, we're going to call you forward today right here at these altars. And we're wanting you to let Jesus and his lordship and his supremacy be lifted up in your life. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe today you need to do it again. Today, humble yourself. Stop exalting your plan. That's what Abram started to do at that altar of Shechem. That's what his descendants came back to after with this altar. This is where his identity began to shift. But even years later, it fully shifted. Wherever you're at in the journey, either beginning or you just need to come back to the Lord. I want you to come to the altar today. Whether you're watching online, you're in this place. I want you to get alone with Jesus. And that's why we're opening these altars. So come.